0: So I'm joined by Webster Melito, heads up Africa Regional Markets for APRIA, ARM for short. Webster, so often we hear that expression, Africa is not a country, speaking to this often sort of arrogant sense out of some multinationals that you treat the continent as if it's one homogeneous block. Do you think that sentiment still has any traction? Do you still see multinationals coming in here and sort of regarding the continent as a single, kind of homogeneous, everything the same? What works for us in Europe should work for us here.
1: Well, Alan, uh, thank you. Look, I think over time wh- what you tend to find now is um, th- there is an understanding that um, Africa is not one, you know, homogeneous landmass. You know, it is uh, fifty-four countries. With a population of round about one point two, one point three billion, that is almost like sixteen, seventeen percent of the world population. Uh, over time, like I was saying, is uh, nationals are beginning to understand that um, Africa is multi-country. It's different geographies. It's fifty-four, you know, different, um, you know, geographical, you know, countries, and so there might still be uh, a perception. I think, especially before, you know, people who are not exactly exposed into. Uh, This continent that uh, may think that uh, when they are looking at uh, the opportunity that Africa presents as a market, uh, let's say, uh, for example, the tendency is usually sometimes to look at uh, the continent uh, holistically. And and yet, you know, this is like we were saying, it's, it's a diverse uh, continent and you find, um, other than, you know, the geographical demarcations, it's uh, within those countries again, you find quite a lot of uh, diversity. And uh, Africa, when you come, you're looking at, you know, language dynamics between 1,500 to probably 2,000 languages across the continent. Of course, uh, mostly those are indigenous and, and largely, obviously, the official business languages are your English, your French, and in some cases, your Portuguese.
0: So perhaps beyond languages, which is clearly a differentiator, and it's, it's no doubt dangerous with 54 countries to say, well, what do you need to do differently for the continent? Are there some big lessons, some big differences that you can highlight in terms of perspective, mentality when you come and do marketing communications on the continent?
1: Yeah, so look, the thing is that most um, corporations and and, and businesses, and if we actually come a little closer to Africa itself, uh, you know, since the uh, advent of, uh, of democracy in South Africa in 1994, the period after that, we saw quite a lot of uh, investments by South African businesses, you know, into north of, uh, you know, the the, the Limpopo River, basically, you know, countries north of South Africa. And I think, you know, the experience in the early years was um, the tendency sometimes was for uh, investors to come into the African markets possibly with their own people and you know their own strategy and their own ways and and means of engaging local stakeholders but i think over time there's a realization because in some cases some businesses actually have failed in markets like kenya because uh, probably not understanding the local dynamics but i think increasingly now we're seeing Quite a lot of, um, you know, South African investors, whether it's in the banking industry, whether it's in retail sector, they are understanding, you know, the need to actually go with the localization mindset, you know, whether it's the people that are running their businesses in those countries outside South Africa, you know, whether it's the marketing tactics, you know, whether it's, um, you know, just, uh, product, um, offering and product design. Uh, also, you know, over time tends to consider, uh, you know, local factors and local considerations.
0: Perhaps a tough question, but you've spoken about localization in terms of perhaps the consumers, reaching out to them in customized local ways, talking about you know, hiring locally. What about the regulatory and government environment? Can that be a deal maker? Can that make or break a company if you don't understand how to navigate the local political dynamics?
1: Well, absolutely. It's uh, quite critical also to understand in the first place before an investor gets into a local African market. Uh, you know, the process, uh, traditionally is, uh, you have to get, um, approvals from uh, local authorities, whether it's the um, authorities that issue with a license to operate in that market in their set-out uh, conditions. And those conditions usually, they will tend also to cover local considerations, you know, whether it's the proportion or percentage of um, the shareholding of that uh, foreign entity into that market, and also whether it's um uh, certain incentives that might be available to you as a foreign investors versus, you know, the incentives that are available if you bring in um, local investors as you set up in that market. So uh, the regulatory environment actually is quite also critical. And in some cases, we've seen that where there has been breach to extremes, uh, uh, those businesses have either actually been either, you know, shut down and unfortunately in some cases taken over, you know, by by authorities, you know, just in the interest of uh, making sure that, you know, those businesses should either operate uh, you know, according to uh, local uh, requirements.
0: From a communications perspective, I need to tell you that around the world we've seen traditional media in a decline, digital media, social, so strong these days. Sometimes it might be perhaps a misperception that, well, digital penetration in Africa, not that high, traditional media is still strong. Just enlighten us as to whether that's a misperception or the reality.
1: Well, I think I would say it's it's a misperception, and because the reality actually is, um, Africa has led in the digital space. If you look at, for example, mobile banking, uh, the most successful story of M-Pesa, uh, the mobile money you know platform in Kenya, uh, has been you know one of the best uh, digital money uh, uh, solutions uh, globally. It's a, it's a, you know sort of a Harvard you know a case study, and uh, that has led. In some markets, for instance, just look at uh, if I can give an example of Zambia, you know, probably 10 years ago, uh, access to financial services probably was sitting at less than 20%. As we speak now, it's over 50 probably 60% or so. Why has that happened? It's because of, um, you know, uh, digital penetration, access to um, mobile money. And, and that has changed the landscape in terms of, you know, how people actually interact with uh, financial services. Just that example. And when you look at the consumption of media, of course, Digital penetration, uh, in Africa, you know, should be sitting and are closer to 50%. Of course, there's a lot of work that has to be done in terms of internet access, especially in rural areas, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of investment by governments and private sector to make that available. I would say that people still, yes, in some cases, people are still relying traditionally on traditional media like your radio, uh, your newspaper, but actually because these traditional uh, media they are also increasingly getting onto digital platforms like your social media so radio stations tv stations are now able to broadcast on, on social media and so people because they've got access to you know uh digital platforms like uh mobile uh, handsets they they can actually you know access radio on on their phones digital so it's an i'll say it's a, it's a hybrid uh, they, but there's quite a lot of uh migration into digital uh, some countries uh, have high numbers of digital uh, penetration and access. Countries like, um, of course, South Africa, um, being one of the you know biggest economies on the continent, but you find your Kenya also quite high up there in terms of um, uh, 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 you know uptake of digital uh, uh, media. So that is sort of the landscape.
0: From a local skills perspective, and sample of one, but you know I've consulted in around thirteen African markets, and always consistently just almost blown away by the the skills levels in the room. A lot of post-grad, young people in the consulting engagement, a lot of very experienced execs. Sample of one, or is that your experience as well, that there's high levels of formal higher education skills available within those 54 African countries?
1: Absolutely, Alan. So obviously at the time of independence, most African countries got their independence probably in the late 1950s, uh, majority of them in the 1960s. At the time of independence, if you looked at the skills uh, uh, levels, uh, quite low. Probably a few. Uh, there's always the the the, the case of, uh, of Zambia where at independence we probably had less than, you know, 100 um, uh, university graduates. That's uh, uh, in 1964. You go to Zambia today, there's thousands and thousands of uh, university graduates, and those are trained, you know, by local Colleges and universities go to a country like um, Botswana, for instance, Uh same uh, story in their sixties at independence, few graduates over time the governments they are, they, the government they are invested in in quite a lot of their locals being trained uh, initially you know in countries like south Africa and and but also built their own local universities and today you go to a market like Botswana you want to invest, you don't need to worry about, uh, you know, skills. You will find, you know, every set, literally every set of skills in literally every sector. And you are good to go. As long as you know, you've got all your paperwork in place to uh, set up your operation. You never have to worry about skills.
0: Finally, Talk to me about the APRIO regional markets model, because yes, you would have more experience than most people in terms of, uh, given your background working on the continent, but still you wouldn't have that real intimate in-depth knowledge of all 54 countries. So what's, what's the model for APRIO regional market? Is it sort of working with local specialist agencies? How do you actually have boots on the ground, so to speak?
1: Okay. The, the, the benefit, obviously, at the moment, as I lead, uh, the APRIO arm division of APRIO strategic communications is that, uh, I come from a background where I held a role in the regional international bank, so to say, uh, covering, uh, corporate communications for 12, 13 countries. During that, uh, period, I did spend quite a lot of time in, in those markets. And actually engaged and interacted with, you know, several key stakeholders in those markets. Uh, so I, I tend to possess, you know, quite an extensive, you know, um, in terms of, you know, outreach to stakeholders and the networks that I've built over, over the years in those countries. So it has been slightly easier for us to get to do business. And we've been fortunate also as a prior arm um, that uh, some of the clients that we deal with at the moment, they've got, uh, Quite a lot of, uh, a number of subsidiaries in the African markets. And, and coincidentally, most of the markets are the markets that I covered in my previous role. So the network that has been built over that time is able, you know, to give us that strength to, to be able to operate locally, but to get closer. The model for a arm um, really in the markets is that, um, It's for us to move away from uh, this, you know, sort of, uh, you know, center to country approach of servicing clients. So we work with, uh, we are identifying local key partners. Uh, We've identified a partner, for instance, in Botswana. Uh, We are in the process of identifying a partner in Zambia. We are also talking to a partner in in Kenya at the moment. At the moment, we still deliver uh, from the center. But, you know, what we want to do in the long term, Medium to long term is to actually have a uh, presence through local partners, where we set up either jointly, you know, or we find a working arrangement. But we can service clients uh, through our partners who actually, you know, understand the markets uh, locally, as opposed to try and service them from South Africa.
0: Sounds like Webster, you're the man to speak to if you're contemplating sort of expanding onto the continent. Thanks so much for giving us your insights.
1: It's been a pleasure, Alan. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Aprio Voice, a podcast from the reputation management and strategic communications professionals at the Aprio Group. If you would like to find out more about the work we do, visit aprio.co.za. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.